today in our midst we have uh, two great guys who are doing some really good work in international mission. That is Chris and Angelo. Um, but we have someone who knows them personally, has spent time with them. So I'm going to hand over to Meg, who is going to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Thank you. Morning. Morning. Wonderful. Yes. So if you've spent any kind of time with me for maybe an hour or so, you might kind of realize that I have a heart for lost in Japan and Beacon has been uh, such a wonderful family in helping me um, go uh, a few times and you are also encouraging by often asking me when, when are you next going um, so I am absolutely thrilled um, to uh, yeah welcome two guys from OMF who's the organization I've been going with there's there's their banner I think stands for Overseas Mission Fellowship I keep saying family because I like family but um, Overseas Mission Fellowship that work um, across Southeast Asia in some of the least reached countries there. Uh, so Angelo, if you want to stand up, I can embarrass you. <laughs> um, this is Angelo. He works for OMF. Yeah! <laughs> in the UK, he is a mobilizer. So he's, you know, seeking to send people um, across the world. And I am thrilled to also uh, welcome Chris, <laughs> who is um, the OMF uh, field director in Japan. Uh, he has been serving there for 12 years with his lovely wife Kezia and their four children, four. Um, and that is Jonathan, Caleb, Karis, and Megumi. Yay! <laughs> um, so yeah, I d um, yes, what I will do is uh, we've got a reading today, so I'll read that and then I'll welcome Chris to come up. So if you're someone who likes uh, your Bibles with you or on your phone, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to find that, go for it, but I'll start going. So we're doing 1 to 11 and then 50. Um, to the uh, 1508. Yeah, great. Um, so it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, uh, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. And then jumping to verse 50. 
I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Oops, sorry. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is, is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Good morning. Well, thanks very much for having me to speak this morning. It's a real pleasure to be here, having met Meg a few times in Japan when she's come to visit. It's lovely to be here and to meet her family, her church family here in the UK. Um, Just before I kind of get into my talk, as we were worshipping and just encouraged to have our hearts open to the Lord, um, I thought, yeah, it'd be a real shame if we didn't hear some Japanese this morning. Um, and, And Meg has come and she's blessed the people of Japan. She's been sent by you and she's praying and thinking about going long term. And I'm here, I work in Japan, I live in Japan, I'm part of the church in Japan. And so I want to just kind of represent the church in Japan and pray for you, but I'm going to pray for you in Japanese and pray a blessing on the church, if that's okay. So let's just pray. I'll tell you what I said afterwards, but um, I'm just going to pray. I said, Chichinara Kamisama, Anata no Subrashi Mina o Sanbishimas. Shiyo, Kono, Anata no Tamino Eni. あなたの豊かな祝福がありますように、この教会はメクさんを日本へ送ろうと思っていますけれども、どうか主よあなたの御心になりますように。また主があなた方を祝福し、あなたを守られますように、主が御顔をあなたに照らし、あなたを恵ま
Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we're going to unpack those verse, that verse this morning. Well, I work in Japan, as you already know, and one of the things that we had to do before we went to Japan um, to prepare was learn to study culture. Because when you get to Japan, it is just very different from the UK. And what we're trying to do is not create an English church in Japan, but as far as it's biblically possible, a Japanese church in Japan. So we want to understand Japanese culture and work in a way that, that kind of understands who the people are, what they think. And one of the things that you do when you study culture is study culture's view of time. So we're going to do a quick crash course. Okay, This is Cultural View of Time 101 in, in about two minutes. So you have what's, first of all, a past-oriented culture. And if you look at that slide, you can see that in, in a past-oriented culture, the kind of biggest thing that dominates people's thinking is the past. And really, that kind of culture is thinking, OK, where have we come from? What are our traditions? And what's important now in the present is to keep those traditions going. And the future, that's kind of small. That's not really something we're thinking about too much. So that's a, a past-oriented culture. So very traditional cultures like that around the world. Then we have a present-oriented culture. And in a present-oriented culture, plans are really made for the short term. What happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future isn't really important. It's just about what's going to get you through today. Maybe people are very, very poor, and they just need to get through today, so they're just making decisions for how I get through. Or maybe it's a culture which is just focused on pleasure, and it's like what feels right in the moment. So you do have cultures like that. And then last of all, you have a future-oriented culture. And they're thinking, where do I want to get to? Where do I want to be in five years, ten years from now? And then that future destination, that helps them think about what I'm going to do today. And what happened in the past, that's not really so important. Well, there's lots more to say about this. But I think today's passage and that verse we just read, Paul is calling us as Christians to be both past and future-oriented. He wants the past and the future to control our present. So we can sum it up like this. Because the past is secure in Jesus, and because the future is secure in Jesus, we can give our present completely to Jesus. Because the past is secure in Jesus, because the future is secure in Jesus, Give your present completely to Jesus. That's the message of that verse we're looking at today. What do we mean by that? We think about the past is secure in Jesus. Everything that Paul's been talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 has been about the cross and the resurrection. And when we get to verse 58 that we're looking at, he says, therefore, and that therefore kind of refers back to the whole of the chapter. We're not going to go through it in detail but if you've got your Bibles, do just have a look at verses 1 and 2. Because Paul started by saying, Look, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. And then in verse 3, he starts to set out what the gospel is. He says, I received what I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, there are three Ps that Paul tells us about Jesus' past. The first is this one, that Jesus' past is personal for us. 
Christ died for our sins, he says. The wonderful thing about Jesus' past, about what he did on the cross, is that it deals with our past as well. All the sin that we were trapped in, the rebellion that we had against God, Jesus has dealt with all of it. Paul says somewhere else in 2 Corinthians, he says, look, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, it's gone. The new has come. We are set free to serve Jesus because of his past. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing he says, Jesus' past is proven. He says, look, the resurrection, guys, it's historical reality. Jesus rose, and he goes on to list all the people that saw him, and Meg read that for us just now. And he says, look, I saw him too. He says, and this, this is really vital. This is, the resurrection is real. New life is real. Jesus is real. And this is what we believed, verse 11. And it's what you've believed, isn't it? It's what we believed this morning. Well, maybe some of you haven't believed that yet. But I want you to know this morning that this new life, this hope of your past being dealt with and a secure future hope, having your life changed, that's open to you this morning if you will trust Jesus. There is great freedom in knowing Jesus and we are set free to serve God wholeheartedly. But Paul's also realistic about the life of faith. You know, sometimes it can be hard to believe can't it? So if we're looking back at our verse in verse 58, he says, look, guys, stand firm. Be steadfast, steady in faith and mind and purpose. You are set free to follow Jesus, but there are still obstacles and challenges that we will face every day. So how are you doing this morning, believing the gospel? Are you standing firm? Now, I confess there are times working in Japan when it can seem hard to believe. Maybe you feel that's shocking coming from a missionary, but you know, we work hard to build the church there. We pour our lives out and tell people about Jesus, and we see very little fruit. It's a very hard place to preach the gospel. 150 years of Protestant mission, and less than 1% of the population still believes You tell people and it feels like the gospel just bounces off the barriers in their hearts. Maybe you've experienced that here as well. But the thing is, is Paul is reminding us that our faith is not dependent on what we see right now. And he's reminding us that we can stand firm because we know that Jesus' salvation and Jesus' kingdom are real and historically rooted. And if people reject that, if people don't accept it, Well, we shouldn't be surprised, but we press on. We keep on serving the Lord faithfully. Paul talks about the victorious Christian life like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, look, we were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair. We were persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So if you're facing difficulties, if you're facing challenges, those are not the reality. God is the reality, and he is always with us in those difficulties. One of the most moving sermons that I heard in my last period in Japan was preached by this guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a student worker in Japan. 
And he was talking about how we should live as Christians. And he told us this story about one of the young students he was working with. This student's mum was a Christian, but his dad's a committed Buddhist. And so this young man had grown up going to church with his mum, but once he got to university, he had to make the decision for himself, am I going to follow Jesus or not? Well, he decided that actually, yeah, he did believe in Jesus, and he did want to follow him. So he went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I, I want to get baptised. Well, his dad said to him, look, okay, son, that's your decision, but I want you to wait until you're 20, which in Japan is the age at which you become an adult, like 18 here, it's 20 in Japan. He said, okay, want to honour you, Dad, I'll, I'll wait until you're 20, but I'm, I'm following Jesus. Well, he reached the age of 20, and he went to his dad again and said, look, I'm, I'm going to get baptised now. And his father turned to him and said, if you get baptized, I shall consider that day to be the day of your funeral. You'll be dead to me, and you'll not see me at your wedding or any other parts of your life. How would you have felt? How would you have responded? Well, my friend, as he told that story, he just had tears rolling down his face. And he described how that young student had gone back to the student group that he was part of, gone back to his church, and just said, guys, I need your help. Pray for me that I will stand firm. And they prayed, they prayed that the father would change his mind. But when he didn't, that young man went ahead with his baptism anyway. And as well as being struck by the courage of that student... I was also struck by how it shows us what Paul's intention is in this verse. You know, when he tells us to stand firm and let nothing move us, he's not saying, just do it on your own. He's saying, do it together. It's all plural in that. He's saying, do it together. Help one another. Remember the reality of our salvation and all that Jesus has done. That's why we come together each week. That's why we have Christian friends. Stand firm together. Believing the gospel, helping one another. Whereas one is weak, someone else can be strong and help that person. But stand firm, stand firm together. You know, and, and if you send Meg overseas, if that's what you end up doing, if that's where the Lord leads, she will need all your support and love and prayers in order to stand firm. Sometimes the mission field is a lonely place. This church here this morning, this is a mega church in Japan. You may not feel very big, but this is a mega church in Japan. Places in Japan I can go to, and I can drive fully two hours between churches. And you imagine you're one of three or four believers in a town of 50,000 people. It can be lonely, and people need your prayers to stand firm. And maybe you have other mission partners around the world that you support. They need your prayers, they need your encouragement, they need your love and your communication. So, the past is secure in Jesus. We are set free to serve him and given all we need to stand firm. But the future is also secure in Jesus. Paul really focuses on the resurrection, doesn't he? But he doesn't stop with the resurrection. He gets all the way through to the second coming and the new heavens and the new earth. He says, look guys, when Jesus rose again, look at verse 24 if you've got your Bibles open, he started a new kingdom... And that kingdom is active and underway. And the great thing is, we know how this story ends. 
Because all dominion and authority and power that stand opposed to God, that will be destroyed by Jesus, who will then give the kingdom to his Father. And then verse 26, death will be defeated. That's the end. This is how our story ends, with Jesus' certain victory. And then we see verse 52. Jesus will return and will be resurrected to new life with new bodies to spend eternity with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit in a new heavens and a new earth. This life, says Paul, I want you to understand this, this life is not all there is. In fact, it's nowhere close to being all there is. The best is really yet to come, and it is certain. Isn't that an amazing hope for us? Yeah? And that's what Paul wants to secure our our hope and our eyes to be fixed on that. Our past is dealt with in Jesus. Our future is secure in Jesus. And so he says, look, you know, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does he mean? Well, at this kingdom that Jesus is building, it will be established. It will come as we pray for the Lord's kingdom, as we pray in the Lord's prayer. It will come on earth. So every act that we do, whether it's great or small, that contributes to the kingdom, it's worth it. Whatever ministry you're engaged in, whatever sacrifice it costs, if it's building for the kingdom, it's worth it. Be it the food bank, the kids' work, the cafe, whatever else, it's worth it. There's a story that comes from the rebuilding of St. Paul's Cathedral. And it said that one morning, Christopher Wren, who was the architect in charge, uh, went out for a walk among all the workers to find out what they were doing and, and find out how the work was going. And of course, they didn't know who he was. He was just some you know, posh guy in a suit, but they would talk to him. So uh, he got to the first guy and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I am cutting stone. And he was. Got to the second guy and he said, he said what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm earning three shillings and sixpence a day. Got to the third man, he said, well, what is it that you're doing? And he was also there, you know, cutting stone. And he said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build this magnificent cathedral. Three guys, three different ways of looking at the same job. But that last man, he was future-oriented in the way that Paul wants us to be. Jesus has started his kingdom. He's called us into it. We know that he's going to complete his kingdom and he's asking us to labor with him. What are you doing when you serve the Lord? I am helping Jesus build his magnificent kingdom. Not because I'm amazing, but because Jesus has asked me to and he loves me and he's given me his grace and helped me to serve him. You know, the tiniest thing we do The great thing is Jesus notices. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus sees. We may not always see, we may not always understand, but Jesus does. In the early 2000s, this Japanese family moved from Japan to America because of the husband's work. And it was a particularly difficult time for the wife of the family. 
She didn't speak much English, and she found the cultural differences between America and Japan just overwhelming. But while they were there, some local Christians really reached out to her and invited her to their events for foreigners who'd moved into their community. She was invited into their homes and taken on outings, really looked after, given warm and loving friendship. Later on, that family moved back to Japan. And as far as the Christians who'd spent that time investing in her, sharing Jesus' love with her, what they'd done had had no effect. She hadn't shown any interest in Christianity. She'd just accepted their hospitality and then gone back to Japan. But we got to know that lady in Japan. And we know that, in fact, those American Christians' actions had a profound effect on her. Because when she came back to Japan, she thought, right, if I see a foreigner in my city, I'm going to look after them, just like those Americans looked after me. So she started looking for one, and one day she saw one. It was my wife, Kessia, walking along the street, looking a bit sad and stressed because we'd just arrived in Japan, and we were both trying to learn Japanese, and our kids didn't speak Japanese, and we didn't know anything about the food. And this family were just amazing. They looked after us, and they loved us, and they showed us where to shop, and they took us on outings, and they blessed us so much. That was in 2007. But they really weren't interested in the gospel. Time moved on, and we moved to another part of the country. And then in 2012, we moved back into the area, and we just thought, great, this is our opportunity. We'll see them regularly. We'll keep sharing the gospel with them. Fantastic. Two months later, the family moved to Milan. I'm like, God, what's going on? And we started emailing, and we emailed, and we found a Japanese church in Milan, a Japanese pastor. We introduced her. No replies. Nothing. That's 2012. 2015, one of our prayer supporters, Michael, emailed us. He said, look, since I heard you speaking when you were last in the UK, I've been praying every day for the S family. Do you have any news of them? So prompted by Michael, we emailed again. And this time, we had a reply from Yoko, the wife, and she just wrote back saying, I'm so glad you've emailed. My life in Milan has been so difficult, I can't even begin to tell you. But because it's been so hard, I feel like God has been taking my face and turning it towards him. And now, I would really love to read the Bible with you. I'm coming back to Japan for a short visit can I come and see you? Well, eventually she did come back to Japan, and she and my wife did Bible study together, and she's now believing, praise the Lord. And she's in her local church in the city that we were in. Yeah, praise the Lord. And we're praying for her to grow as a disciple and to be baptized. But the point of that story is that the work of those American Christians was not in vain. They didn't see the result of their labor, but their love changed that lady's heart, which meant that she met my wife, which meant that she went to did Bible study. And you see the chain? They didn't see what they did, though, but God used them. And Michael, our prayer supporter, who put in the quiet, solid prayer work each day, nobody saw him, nobody knew what he was doing, He didn't see results for three, four years, but he prayed every day. And Jesus used those things 
to build his kingdom, to achieve his purposes for his glory. So then, because we have this rock-solid past and a guaranteed future, give your present completely to Jesus as well. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Literally, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I love that word, abounding. From the fullness, from the abundance that Jesus gives us, we give back fully, abundantly to him. And this is not just about volume. It's not about how many hours you put in or how many rotors you're on. It's about the attitude of our hearts. My training pastor at the first church that we worked in in Japan was a senior Japanese pastor, and he he used to talk about the importance of helping believers in Japan become Christian Japanese and not just Japanese Christians. He says, I want their primary way of thinking, their identity, their motivation in life. I want that to be Christ and serving him. So I'd like to ask you this morning, are you a mum who happens to be a Christian or a Christian mum? A teacher who is a Christian or a Christian teacher? Whatever it is that you do, a debt counsellor, businessman, father, carer, daughter, whatever. Are you doing that? Sleeping, resting, waking, working, whatever, doing it for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's what we're called to. And the work of God in this world is wide, isn't it? There's so much we can do to bring justice and healing to help God's kingdom come. But it's also clear that Paul has a priority of proclaiming Jesus and making him known. So whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly from the Lord. Do the work that the Lord has given you. But also we need to be ready always to share about Jesus, to share the hope that we have. My wife and I, we're called to do that in Japan, to be full-time in sharing the gospel. Less than 1% of the population of Japan are Christians. Most people go through the whole of their lives without hearing about Jesus, and that's why we're there. And we would love you this morning to pray for Japan. And you've all had one of these as you came in. This is a five-day prayer challenge for Japan, which we would like to just leave with you this morning. It's five topics over five days, and if you read through the text for one day, it should take you about five minutes. And these are prayer requests. We went to the Japanese pastors that we work with, and we said, what would you like the global church to pray for Japan? And this was their answer, and we've produced this. So I'd love it if you would pray for Japan this week. And if you can find five other people to do it with, that'd be even better. But please Do take that away and use it. The people of Japan really need your prayers. But you may be called to the places you'll go to this week, to the schools, to the communities, to your workplace, to your family. We all have a role to play. I know you've been doing this theme of of working with the Holy Spirit in your everyday lives and in your mission. Yeah, this is what we are called to do. But we need to take the gospel And no matter where we have our primary role, no matter what we call to do day by day, we also, 
I think biblically, as biblical Christians, we need to have a heart for the nations too. You know, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is close to God's heart. That's the last words of Jesus, isn't it, in Matthew? It's close to God's heart, and so it needs to be close to our hearts as well. But sometimes that can just feel a bit overwhelming. How, how can I take the gospel to the ends of the earth? So I just want to share a little tool which OMF has been working on, which we call the six ways of mission. And you will have that. Just grab it out and have a look. Um, and there should be a little, yeah, there we go, slide coming up. And we call this the six ways of mission just because we think it helps us think, well, how can I be involved in this huge task? Because we're not all called to go, because if everybody went, there'd be nobody here. And the people here need to hear as well, don't they? But we all do need to be involved. Well, the first thing you can do is learn. Maybe you have somebody that you pray for who works overseas. Do you really understand their ministry? They'd be so encouraged if you sent them an email and said, tell me a bit more about what it is you're doing or what the challenges are. Maybe you want to bless Meg. You go and ask her about Japan and why the gospel is needed in Japan. Or maybe you've never really thought about mission and you just want to read um, a book that tells why mission is so important and why it's part of God's plan for this world. So many different things and there's some resources you could go and look at there. And, and this is an OMF leaflet. So it's all about OMF, but... You know, we are kingdom-minded in OMF. There's so many other great mission organizations that you could go and find out resources from as well. So do, you know, take, just think about learning. Could you learn some more? Praying. You know, praying is so exciting. You know, my favorite activity before we went to the field was the OMF prayer meeting we went to. And it was us um, as sort of future OMF missionaries. And uh, the average age of the group apart from us was about 76 this wonderful group of prayer warriors who'd just been praying all their lives. And we'd go and meet together once a month, and we'd pray for about 10, 15 different OMF missionaries. We'd get their prayer letter and pray it through. And then we'd come back the next month, and the leader of the group would just have a list up, and she'd be like, there's this answer to prayer, there's this answer to prayer, there's this answer to prayer. And we'd be like, yeah, God hears, and God listens, and we'll pray again. And it so encouraged our faith. It was so exciting to think that an hour and a half, we were living in Bournemouth then. An hour and a half in a lounge in Bournemouth could make a difference to the gospel in China or the gospel in Thailand. It's hard sometimes to pray. It can take discipline, but it's so worth it. You can welcome. You know, there are, we're just having a conversation before the service um, about how multicultural the UK is and how many people there are from all different nations. You know, you could welcome people from maybe Iran. You could hardly ever get to, Japan, to Iran to be a missionary, but there'll be people from Iran in this community, I'm sure, and you could share the gospel with them. People from China. It's getting harder and harder to go to China. Really, the government's cracking down on foreigners going into China to share the gospel. But there are loads of Chinese folk over here that you could share the gospel with. So many different ways that we can just welcome the stranger in our midst and bless them with the gospel and mobilize. Maybe you've never thought about it, but maybe you're someone who's passionate, passionate about praying. Get someone along to pray with you. Maybe you're passionate about seeing the world reached, but your role isn't to go, but to encourage someone else. I know many of you have encouraged Meg, but maybe there are other young people in this church who need a, a bit of a push, a bit of an encouragement to think about mission. If you want a book for Younger people, students, I mean, you can read it yourselves as well. We have this one this morning. It's a story of 
a guy who's far trendier and younger than I am, who plays ultimate frisbee for Jesus in Japan, but who is reaching Japanese people in a way that I could never do. And it's just his story about how God uses us uniquely as we are for his purposes. It's two pounds. It's a great read, particularly for younger people. It's quite short. Have a look at that on our bookstore later. Yeah, it would be something you could use to mobilize. And then you can send. Actually say, we want to get behind whoever it is, and we're going to send you. And maybe you're sending people into a local community here. Maybe you're sending, you send out each week into your workplace. But maybe the Lord is calling you to send Meg. We'll see where the Lord leads. But send, and of course, um, going, going yourself. Short-term opportunities. Angelo would love to talk to you about opportunities to go and see mission, experience it in a different way. Have your horizons broadened and be a blessing to those who are there long-term. Well, those are just some ways in which you can be involved in mission. And I know that as a church, you have these different missions that you're involved in. But all of these things are part of us giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because the past is secure in Jesus, because the future is secure in Jesus, let's give ourselves completely to Jesus. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray.